Um, this illustration I'm about to use uh, is not my own. I borrowed it from a guy by the name of Frank Peretti. If you have heard of him, he, he is a Christian author, and he's written uh, some pretty popular books. At least they were back in the day, This Present Darkness, Piercing the Darkness, things like that. So um, if you want to go see the real version of it, you can go look it up on YouTube. Look for Frank Peretti, The Chair, and, uh, and you'll see exactly what it is. So, But um, imagine with me, if you will, that we are in a big dark room, that uh, there are no lights in this room, and that at the, as, we, as we come into the room, there are all, there's no defining characteristic of the room. There's nothing that would give us an idea, like this banana, um, of where we are. It was a joke. Um, there, there's nothing that would, that would kind of give us a clue to anything about the room. You know, it's a round room, not a red room. Um, a round room. That was a joke. <laughs> Red room, you know, anyone know what I'm talking about? Red room? No? All right. Um, <laughs> so it's a round room, and, and there's nothing in the room to give me any idea of where I am. So the lights are off, and, and I, you know, I walk into the room. So what are you going to do? It's like when you have to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night. What do you do when you have to figure out how to get where you need to go in the dark, right? You, you kind of walk through the room, and, and there's nothing Nothing around, nothing around, and so you kind of maybe stumble into something, and what is this? Oh, it's a, it's a chair. It's a chair. <laughs> it's a chair. I, I know what it is. I know what it is. I'm going to sit down in it. Oh, now I, now I know where I am. I'm in a chair. So um, everything, everything is fine because I, I now... I now know where I'm. I know where I'm supposed to be. I'm. I know how. I know how I got here. I walked into the room and I sat down in the chair. I found the chair. I'm sitting in the chair. Now I know where I am. So now I can use the chair as a uh, as as a point of reference, right? So I can, I can, I can maintain the my connection with the chair and where the chair is, and and I can kind of do some feeling around, right? I can I can walk around the chair, and after after I get really comfortable with the chair, then I can really get comfortable, huh? I did it. And then if I get really brave, I can I can use some dead reckoning, right? Remember what that is? Here's the chair. Okay, one, two, three. One, two, three. Ha, 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 ha. It works. I found the chair. I know where I am. I know how to get where I need to go because I found the chair. Now, some of you got it. What happens if I move the chair? I lose my point of reference, right? If I pick up and move the chair even a little bit, everything changes. Everything changes. Now, I used to know what was over here, but I don't know what's over here anymore. Or if I move it over this way, I know what was over there, but 
I don't know what was over here. You see, the thing that I think you probably inherently understood, as soon as I picked up and moved the chair, that there are two things about a point of reference that have to be true at all times. First, it has to be separate from you, right? It has to be not a part of me. So my point of reference cannot be a part of me. And the other thing is, it can't move, right? If it's a point of reference, then it can't move. Now, um, maybe, you, maybe you know what this is. Some of you. Not that. Go. There we go. How many of you know what that is? Oh, you look at the horizon and figure out a reference point in order to figure out where you are. Usually, that's the start of it. Right, yeah. So, what's it called? The sextant. The sextant. And so, it's used uh, especially in sailing. So, you use this, you look through. The, the viewfinder, and then you can find stars, you can find uh, different points of reference that are out in the sky that don't move, and then you can figure out how to, where you are and how to get where you need to go. Um, but that's a little bit of an old reference. Maybe this one will make a little bit more sense. What is that? It's a satellite. How do we use satellites for navigation? GPS, right? And so we have at least three satellites that are taking and, and connecting with our device. Now it's our phone. It used to be a, a GPS uh, device that we had in our cars. It was dedicated to that. Some of you probably still have that. We still have one of those. And it's, it takes at least three satellites and it coordinates your position based on the, your distance between those three satellites. What would happen if um, all of a sudden... You were trying to get to 8802 Northwest 9th Avenue, which is where we are right now. This is the, that's the location of the church. What would happen if 8802, while you were on your way to 8802, moved? You'd never get there. You would, you would be totally dumbfounded, right, if, if the position you're trying to get to changed, if the destination moved when you're on your way to the destination. And so um, GPS and navigation and, and using maps and all those things are built on this idea that, that a fixed point of reference can never move. So we're going to turn back to our groups now, and I would like you to uh, talk about this question. Have you ever been lost? And what could have kept you from getting lost? Have you ever been lost? What could have kept you from getting lost? Turn ahead to your groups and go ahead and talk about that. Chances are we've all probably been lost at some point in time. I myself have never been lost. You can ask my wife. There was one time um, down in Bend that I, that I did not arrive at our destination, but if we were truly lost, then we would have made the news and all kinds of stuff, and we were out of where we thought we weren't supposed to be within a relatively short amount of time before we ran out of gas. So really, technically, was not lost. <laughs> but, you know, we've all been lost. And, and what, what is the thing that could have helped you, um, if you were lost, get out of your lost position? You know, so, for instance, let's, let's say we're not using GPS we're not using uh, even a car. We're out wandering in the woods. What are those things that are going to help us get out of the woods to find a place of safety? Do you have an answer? Rain, is that what you said? Praying, that's a good idea. Yes, I was praying 
God, don't let us die. Um, don't let us get a flat tire. But I wasn't all that worried because we weren't actually lost. <laughs> the sun. Good, good, good idea. Yeah. Any other ideas? A map. What are all of these things um, dependent on? A point of reference. So, um, for instance, if you're out in the woods, it doesn't work so well in the northwest because, you know, in other parts of the world, you can use the fact that moss usually grows on the north part of a tree to kind of help you know which way you're going. But in the northwest, moss grows on every part of the tree, so that doesn't really help. Um, so, okay, so then what do we have? Uh, well, we have the sun. We can try to use the sun, but as you know, like today is a very good indicator of the sun does not always shine. Um, so we can't really use the sun. We could use a map, but the, to use a map, what do, we, what do we have to have to be able to know if we're going the direction the map is going? I heard somebody say it over here. Compass, yeah. You have to have a compass that guides you uh, by, by knowing that if you are wanting to go north, using the compass, you can go north. If you want to go south, using the compass, you can go south. But we have to have a point of reference. See, see, we might not always have the sun. We might not always have moss. We might not always have landmarks that we can use around us. But if we have something like a compass, then we have a point of reference that points to something beyond us that guides us in the direction that we need to go. Now, that a lot of times will work on a GPS because you have north, south, east, and west, but there are also a lot of times when GPS does not work like it's supposed to. I'm sure you have a story about that. But getting into what we're talking about, um, we're talking about God today, and we're kind of setting a, setting a foundation for where we're going for this first module, this first eight-week uh, series that we're going to go through in this, in this the Disciples Project that we're going through. Um, we, but we have to first start with God. Everything really starts with God. And so I wanted to kind of talk about um, this idea of truth, because if we don't understand truth, then we can't really believe in a God. If we don't know that there is a God who exists outside of us, outside of this creation we live in, outside of all of these things, then we can't really believe in a God. We have to understand that. So here's the thing I'm hoping you'll remember. It's at the top of your notes. You'll see it. God knows everything. God made everything. And God never changes. God knows everything. So truth comes from God. God made everything. God created everything. That's us. God created us. God created the world. God created truth. God created wisdom. He created all of these things. God made everything, and God never changes. So we don't have to worry about God being uh, like the address that moves, and when we finally try to get to the destination of God, he's not there. God never changes. God is who he always has been. He will be who he always was. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So that's, that's the idea we have to kind of set the groundwork for this morning. Now, if you don't know this, if you haven't noticed this, if this has not been a part of your education, then, then you may not be aware of this, but I try to pay attention to it, and my, uh, my dad has given me a lot of great insight into this topic over the years, but our world, our culture that we live in has gone to great lengths to demolish the idea of absolute truth. Our world has, has really tried hard to, to take the idea that you can know something absolutely and blow it up and make it impossible to believe in. This is an idea, it's a philosophical idea known as, as relative truth. But it doesn't just play out in the philosophical realm. It plays out in our day-to-day -day lives. And I think I can give you a couple examples of, of how that goes. It goes something like this. We hear this all the time. That's not what I believe. Well, I just don't think that that's true. That's true. 
Or I don't think God would say that. I don't think that's who God really is. See, a great deal of effort has gone into dismantling the idea of truth, so much so that even in our day-to-day conversations, we are destroying truth because, well, we'll get into that later. But there's also something else I would like you to, like you to maybe acknowledge. Maybe some of you don't feel this way. Maybe some of you will disagree, and that's fine. You can disagree, um, uh, and we can talk about that afterwards if, if you really have a problem with this statement. But there has also been a great deal of effort that has gone into silencing the voice of the church and, and God and Christianity in our culture. A great deal of effort has gone into silencing our voice. And I don't know if you've ever wondered, but I've wondered why, I mean, there are a lot of different ideas about who God is. Why is it so, uh, so um, harshly uh, slanted against Christianity having a voice in our culture? Do you wonder why that's the case? I've, I've wondered why that is. And then I heard this quote from uh, Ravi Zacharias, one of my favorite speakers and teachers. He said, when you want to introduce a lie, you have to silence the voices of truth. When you want to introduce a lie, you have to silence the voices of truth. And so if we have the truth, if we believe that the truth is, is God and that God uh, knows everything, God made everything, and God never changes. If we believe that, if that is our truth, then, then for other ideas to exist and to pop up and to grow and to flourish, then you have to silence the voice of the real truth. So, has it worked? Who do you think God is? Here's a definition of God. This is in your notes. In all existence... From all eternity, there has been and always will be only one God. God was never created, is completely loving, completely just, completely holy, completely merciful, and he desires the best for us. God is holy, and he can have nothing to do with sin. As the Bible says, his eyes are too pure to look upon evil. Who is God? Well, our memory verse for this week that we were working on a quick note about the notes in your hand, they lead up to the coming Sunday. And so if you are, are wanting to be prepared for next Sunday, then starting on Tuesday, Tuesday through Friday is all preparing us for the coming week. And so Monday is, all, is dedicated to applying what we talked about today and what we started learning last Tuesday to our lives and the week ahead. But then from Tuesday on, we're trying to be prepared for what's, what's coming next Sunday. And so this is the scripture verse we put out last week. It was on the website. There's a, a wallpaper you can go download to help you, help you learn the verse, memorize the verse. Here's the verse, our memory verse from last week. Oh, the depth of the riches of the, of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them for from him and through him and for him all things to him be the glory forever. Amen. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. So, you know, did anyone watch uh, Scrooge McDuck? Anyone know Scrooge McDuck? You remember him swimming in his gold, right? Well, he had this, he had this gold that he would go uh, swim in instead of, his, instead of his pool. That's nothing compared to the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. In fact, if you take all of the riches of the world, all of the wealth of the world, and you put it into one spot and you put it into one building and you were to able to measure from top to bottom how 
how much wealth you had there. That's nothing compared to the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments, his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who knows what God thinks? God, right? No one else besides God knows what God thinks. Who has ever counseled God? Who has ever given God advice? No one. Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? We have never given anything to God. We don't deserve anything from God. That's why we have grace. We're getting to that in a few weeks. For from him, this is the idea of creating, from him and through him and for him are all things. God created everything. God knows everything and God never changes. All right, let's get into the the nitty-gritty then of it, of these three words. God knows everything. You've probably heard this word thrown around in church circles if you spend much time around church. It's the idea of being omniscient. Omniscient is just a fancy word. It's a theological word for God knows everything. All right, so when you hear that word omniscient, it means God knows everything there is to know. There's a great resource on BibleGateway.com that I hope you'll go check out. Go to BibleGateway.com, click on resources, and there's on on that page, Dictionary of Bible Themes. And you can go through that, and you can go through a lot of the themes through the Bible and see Scripture references. That's where a lot of this material in these three sections ahead of us came from. God knows everything. So the omniscience of God is that attribute by which he knows all things past, present and future, what is hidden from our sight, from human sight, is still known by God. The scripture stresses the wisdom of God in all his actions and often grounds this in his all-embracing knowledge. God's knowledge originates within himself, so God's knowledge starts with him. We can't do that. We can discover knowledge, but we cannot originate knowledge. God's knowledge is complete. As you go through life, I think it's very easy to understand that you don't know everything and you actually know less and less as it seems as the world goes on as you get older. And God knows things that are hidden from human understanding. So there are things about the world that we will never understand and they are hidden from us and we may never discover them, but God knows what they are. God knows everything. He is omniscient. The second thing is this. God created everything. God's power is revealed in the initial creation and the continuing sustenance of the universe. And humanity represents the climax of of the creator's purposes. God creates all things. So the the wood that we're standing on, the, the ground that we drove on, even the materials that created the car that we drove in, God creates all things. God is the one who, who put all of these elements into our planet, and then he has given us creativity. We're going to talk about in a couple of weeks. He's given us creativity because we are made in his image to create from the things that he has already created. But we cannot create something from nothing. Only God can do that. We cannot create something from nothing. That's a thing only God can do. God creates the physical world, the world we see around us. He creates the spiritual world. The human race is the apex of God's creation. There's a bunch of verses there. He creates through Jesus Christ. He creates by the Spirit. He creates by his word. He creates by his wisdom. Proverbs 3.19 says, By wisdom the Lord laid the earth's foundations. By understanding he set the heavens in place. God created this world, the order of the world, on his wisdom, on his knowledge, on his understanding. It has to operate the way God designed it to operate. And then Jeremiah 10, 12 says this, God made the earth by his power. He founded the world by his wisdom and stretched out the heavens by his understanding. God made the earth by his power. He founded the world by his wisdom and he stretched out the heavens by his understanding. 
God created everything. One more idea we need to work in, God doesn't change. This is the, the theological term for that is immutable. Immutable. God doesn't change. God is unchanging, like we sang earlier in the service. God never changes. God's nature, his plans and actions do not change, even though he is active, and his relationships do not remain static. His moral consistency guarantees his commitment to unchanging principles. God is unchangeable. God cannot be changed by an outside force like we can. God's characteristics do not change. God's love is constant. It does not change. God's purposes and plans do not change. God does not revoke his promises. He does not decide something and then change his mind. God's word does not change. God's failure to inflict promised judgment is a sign of his unchanging grace, which we're going to talk about in future weeks. We deserve judgment based on what we have done, how we failed to live up to, to his standard, and yet he continues to show us grace. His grace doesn't change. God is omniscient. God is immutable. God created everything. God knows everything. God never changes. God created everything. Does all of that make sense? Does all of that kind of... All right. So now... Oh, I didn't skip my slides. I'm sorry. God created everything. God never changes. Now, this is a big idea, and I'm not going to, to do it justice, but, but here in this simple time, the, the kind of foundation for, for the rest of our talk comes from, it comes well from a commandment, right? You shall have no other gods before me. You've probably heard that commandment. Um, there are no other gods. This is, this is going to be maybe, maybe offensive for some of you. There is only one God. And then there are a lot of other religions that claim to have a God. But as we believe in Christianity, the truth of the matter is there is only one God. There's one. It's a big topic. Um, it's going to be really hard to do justice. But um, if you have questions, we can talk. We can debate later. But there, are, even in spite of all of, of the other religions and the other gods, there are also a lot of things that in this life we, we give God status, that, that we worship. There are a lot of things that get our worship. There are a lot of things that are more important to us than God. There are a lot of, uh, you know, like we talked about last week, there are, there are physical things, there are created things of this world that get our focus. There, there are agendas and pursuits that we're going after that, that trump our focus on God, that are more, more, uh, have more passion in our lives than we have for God. There, there are a lot of things that, that we kind of make gods in our lives. There are a lot of small g gods that, that we as people worship. But really, all of, this, all of this boils down to two things. It boils down to two ideas. Are we the one that we worship, or is God the one that we worship? Are we the one that, that gets all of the focus, all of the attention, all of, all of the passion, all the desire, all the time, all the energy? Are we the ones that we worship, or is God the one that we worship? Another way of putting it is, are we at the center of our universe, or is God at the center of our universe? What does everything revolve around in your life? Does everything revolve around me and what I want? Does everything revolve around making life better for myself and how I can get what I want out of life, or does everything revolve around God? Who is at the center of our lives, our existence? 
If we're at the center of our existence, that makes us what would be called either humanists or existentialists. Existentialism, this is, this is kind of a heady thing. I'm just going to kind of give you the idea so we can talk about it. Existentialism is a philosophical theory or approach that emphasizes the existence of the individual person as a free and responsible agent determining their own development through acts of will. An existential person, existentialism, it's a philosophical theory approach that emphasizes the existence of the individual person as a free and responsible agent determining their own development through acts of the will. So we are the champions of our own existence. We are, are the rulers of our own existence. We decide everything there is about who we are, who we want to be. Every decision we want to make is based on our own will, our own, our own ideas, and it has nothing to do with outside forces. It also covers this idea that there's no inherent meaning in things. There is no essence or purpose which pre-exists. If you want to find purpose or meaning, you can and you have to create it for yourself. So there's nothing that pre-exists. We were not created on purpose for a purpose like we will talk about in a few weeks. We, we decide our purpose as, as existentialists. We decide our purpose. We decide we're going to go how we want to go, live how we want to live. And what has meaning is whatever we decide has meaning. We create that for ourselves. Another thing is that reason and logic do not hold supremacy in, in the existentialist mind. So we see as existentialists, I'm saying, pretending I'm an existentialist right now. I'm not. Um, just to set you at ease. We say as an existentialist that, that the universe is just chaotic and irrational and random. And we categorize everything, um, or our attempt to categorize anything or to be objective misses the point entirely. It's useless. It's a waste of time. So for, for existentialists, there's no reason, there's no point, there is no, there is no order, there is no purpose, it's all random, it all happened by chance, and the only, the only uh, value that gets added to anything is the value we assign to it. That's existentialism. Does that sound exciting? But if we're at the center of our universe, then the, that might sound like an extreme example, but we'll get into it just a little bit. If we're at the center of our universe, even though we may, we may not say that we actually believe that we are existentials, a lot of the working out of how we live our lives is actually worked out in an existential way. But if God is at the center of our existence, if God is the center of our universe, the center of our purpose, then the opposite of all of that is true. See, existentialism is the opposite of how we were designed by God to operate. See, we do believe that we were created on purpose for a purpose. God had a design for us when he created us. We believe that we have meaning. I believe that everyone in here has a great meaning, that you have a great purpose for which you were created, that you are not meaningless, and that you are not worthless, that God created you with an idea in mind, and he has something that he wants you to do for his kingdom. We also believe that God created the order and the operating system for how we ought to think and act. The universe is not chaotic and irrational. Instead, it has a clear way of operating, and we can observe this through science. The categorization of everything is based on the structure that God put in place for the system when he created it. 
So, so the way the world actually works, the way that we believe that the world works, is that God created everything, and he created it with his knowledge, with his wisdom, his infinite ability to know everything and to understand everything that we will never understand. He created, he built this world, he built the planet, he built the solar system, he built our lives, he built the way we think, he built our souls, our spirits, all based on his knowledge, on his wisdom, on his understanding. And the reason that is so important to get the difference between, between existing for our own selves and existing the way God designed us and created us to exist is because it will change greatly how we go about living. Jeremiah 17, 5 through 8 says this. This is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. That person will be like a bush in the wastelands. They will not see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in the parched places of the desert in a salt land where no one lives. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh. Cursed is the one who has me at the center of our universe. Cursed is the one who draws all of our meaning and existence from me whose heart turns away from the Lord. That person will be like a bush in the wastelands. They will not see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in a parched places of the desert. However thirsty you are right now does not compare to how thirsty you would be in a salt land where no one lives. So you're thirsty and then you get some salt. That really takes care of the thirst. See, if we trust in ourselves or in the ability of mankind to attain levels of greatness and morality... So listen to that. If we trust in ourselves or in the ability of mankind and the human race to, to attain, to reach, to, to scale the heights of greatness and morality, what's going to happen is we'll be like a bush in wastelands. We'll dwell in the parched places of the desert in a salt land where no one, with, no one lives. We have no hope. When our trust is in man, the end result is chaos, disorder, and death. That's what the end result is. But here, let's go on Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 7. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. When our trust is in the Lord, we're like a tree planted by the water. We don't have to fear when drought comes because there's always water and we always bear fruit. We don't have to worry about the, the constantly changing world around us and, 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 and the fears that are, that are overwhelming that are going on in the outside world, the, the world outside of this building at this very moment. There, there's a lot of stuff that we can be afraid of, but see, we don't have to be afraid of any of that stuff because we are like a tree planted by the water. Even when drought comes, even when the hard times come, even, even when the worst things happen, we still have God. Before we can understand who we are, we, we have to know who made us. We're going to get into that in just a couple weeks about being made in God's image and what that means, why that's such a big deal. But even, even beyond that, we have to understand, and this, is, this, this may offend you too, we have to understand that this is God's story, not our story. 
This, this whole thing that we are a part of, this whole, this whole big story that right now, at this present moment, there are about 8 billion people who are part of. This is all God's story, and it's all about him and his glory. It's not my story. It's not everything about me and making the world revolve around me. It's about making my life about God. See, this is, this is God's story, story, and we're a part of it. It's not our story that we get to add God to. That's a fundamental difference. This is God's story, and we're a part of it. This is not my story that I add God to. God is at the center of everything, including our story. Here's something else that's very important to know. God brings definition to everything. So God defines you. God defines me. God defines the laws of gravity. God defines what makes it rain. God defines the trials that come. He, God defines how we handle those. God defines all of these things in our lives. God, God is the definition. God brings definition to everything. God built this world on the foundation of his wisdom, and it's only by knowing who God is that we can know who, what, where, when, why, and how anything else is. The one who creates is the one who brings definition. It's very easy to illustrate. As I've talked before, I like to build things. If I'm building a table, the table does not tell me the dimensions to build. I decide the dimensions of the table, and I go and build the table. I defined it. God brings definition to everything. But why does that matter? We spend too much time trying to get God behind what we want to do, and not enough time getting behind what God wants us to do. This is why it matters. You might want to write this down in your notes. There's a place for it there. We spend too much time trying to get God behind what we want to do, and not enough time getting behind what God wants us to do. We spend a lot of time praying for God to help us do this or to help us do that. We, we spend a lot of time praying for, for God to help us achieve all of the things that we hope to achieve in our life, to, to achieve all of our hopes and our dreams and all of the things that, that are out there in front of us. We ask God to get behind what we want to do. But instead, we need to ask ourselves, are we doing what God wants us to do? Are we worried about what we get for ourselves? Or are we worried about what God wants us to do? Ravi Zacharias said this. He said, we talk so much about one's rights, we talk so little about what's actually right. We talk so much about our rights we talk so much about the things we think we're entitled to, about all the things that we think we deserve because we are the center of our universe and when we're the center of our universe, then of course we deserve all of these things because we are the God of our life. So, so we talk so much about all the things that we think we deserve and then anyone who comes into our world and speaks something that is contrary to our opinion is, you know, the devil. Anyone who disagrees with us deserves to be condemned because how dare you tell me how to live? Right? How dare you tell me what's right for me and when what's right for me is what I decide what's right for me. See, this is existentialism working itself out in our lives. We don't get to decide what's right. God has decided before we were created what is right and what is wrong. So we need to change the conversation about what my rights are and talk more about what is actually right. Abraham Lincoln said this. 
My concern is not whether God is on our side. My greatest concern is to be on God's side, for God is always right. My concern is not whether God is on our side. My concern is whether I'm on God's side. God's always right. God is always the one going in the right direction. God is always right. We spend so much time trying to get God on our side, trying to convince God that what we want to do, the decision that we want to make, whatever it is, and that can be anywhere across the spectrum, whatever the decision is, is we have to convince God that it's right. And we spend so much time trying to convince God that this is how he made us when, in fact, he made us in an entirely different way. See, God defines truth. God defines our existence. God defines creation. And if God defines truth, then no matter how much we want the world to operate how we think it ought to operate, the only way we will ever be successful is to live according to God's ways. The only way we'll, we'll ever find success, we'll ever find joy, we'll ever find peace is to stop trying to make God's world operate according to our operating system and to start operating our lives according to God's operating system. So, what is truth? Truth is a fact. By its very nature, it cannot change. A statement is true if what it says is so is actually so. I am standing on the stage at 6-8 Church. That is a true statement. A statement is true if what it says is so is so, and if what it says is not so is not so. I am not standing on the stage at a church in India. That is also a true statement. But if I stop and I say right here at this very moment that I am standing on a church and on a stage in India, it stops being true. Whatever is true must be in agreement and conform to reality. So, well, then what is reality? It's what's real. It's the way things really are. It's not how we think they should be. It's not how we wish they would be. It's not how we selfishly want them to be. It's the way things really are. It's what exists independent of people's personal opinions and beliefs. That's the way things really are. So truth, then, must correspond to reality. The alternative is that actual truth is non-existent. If there is no truth, if truth has to conform to me, then there is no such thing as truth. Because there cannot be anything that, that goes outside of my own universe, my own world. What people perceive as truth would depend on their personal feelings or their particular worldview. How you see things, how you see the world would be how you decide truth. In either case, whatever seems to be true, um, uh, whatever seems to be true relative to one's particular beliefs or opinions becomes truth. And whatever does not fit with one's belief is non-truth. Whatever fits with how I think is true. If truth is bound to one's private beliefs, if truth is bound to my private beliefs, it can differ from person to person, or from culture to culture, from nation to nation, even throughout history in the same nation. This would mean that universal and unchanging truth is impossible to discover because it does not exist. If it's always changing, you cannot discover it. This in turn means that statements of universal fact are also non-existent and ultimate reality is unknowable. In, sh in short, if all truth, if it exists, must correspond to reality. 
I don't get to say this is true for me. We don't get to say that this is, this is just what I believe. There is a truth that is over everything, and we need to live our lives according to it. So we spend too much time trying to get God's support for how we want to live. That's not truth. We're seeking to find ways that we can convince ourselves and the world around us that God would really want us to be happy. So how could he possibly not want us to do or be or whatever, X, Y, Z. But in that moment, in that instant, we have defined God. God is not defining our existence. And dare I say that our primary concern is not for our happiness. God's primary concern is not for our happiness, but for his glory. That he put us here on this earth to give him and bring him more glory. Another option is that we just decide that God doesn't exist and we know better than God, so I'm just going to live how I want. To help illustrate, um, I need one volunteer, one person to come up. Tim always comes up. Anyone else? Come on up. Let's give her a hand. This is going to be very frustrating for her, so. (laughs) All right, so have a seat. We're going to pretend that we're in a courtroom and you are the prosecuting attorney, okay? All right, so um, just, you know, just, uh, let's just say, just for fun, that um, you are, are prosecuting me. I'm the defendant. You're prosecuting me because I like the Buckeyes, right? I'm an Ohio State Buckeyes fan. So, you, so you're going to prosecute me, and you have a case because you are the prosecutor against why I should not like the Ohio State Buckeyes. And so... Let's just say, so do you have any reasons why I should not like the Ohio State Buckeyes? Okay, there you go. So the Oregon Ducks are the best football team, right? That, so so there's, there's her entire argument. We'll just, we'll just leave it at the one argument. The Oregon Ducks are the best football team. Now, now I, I will argue that the Ohio State Buckeyes have, have won many national championships, that the last time the Ducks won the national championship was when. And, yeah, so you don't know, but the Ohio State Buckeyes have won one in the last, uh, well, Somebody's being a smart aleck in the back. The Ohio State Buckeyes won one in 2002, and it was actually in 2003. It was at the end of 2000. So I I can make this argument. Now, now, see, between these two arguments, there is no real truth, right? I mean, there's there's no real true argument between how the Ducks are better than the Bucks. Right? There's just, there's just no argument. So, um, in, in my world, in this universe, in the way things that I'm deciding exist, um, because this is my world, this is my creation, I can do whatever I want, it's my illustration, so just forget about it. I am also the judge. So, I am going to decide as the judge of this case that the Ohio State Buckeyes are the supreme team in all of college football and that there is no argument that anyone can make I can stand against this reasoning because I am the judge. How does that make you feel as the prosecutor? I'm wrong. Thank you. That was perfect. You can go back and have a seat. Give her a hand. You see, um, a, 
like we, like we started off in the very beginning, for a point of reference to be an actual point of reference, it has to have two things. For one, it has to be a part of ourselves. Number two, it cannot move. It has to be a part from me. It cannot be a part of who I am, and it cannot move. And the way the world is operating today, that does not exist. We decide what truth is, and we carry it wherever we want it to go, however it meets our needs best. We pick it up and we move it across the spectrum, however we feel and however the mood of the culture and the environment around us is at that point in time. We are not just the defendant in a case against the prosecutor, we have also become the judge. And as you saw in this illustration, you cannot rationally be both the defendant and the judge. There is no rational way when you are in the system for you to actually make a rational decision based on something that you decide. There's no, there's no way that I can say that the Buckeyes are better than the Oregon Ducks because there's no, there's no proof. But when I am the judge, when I am in my own world, when I'm in my own universe, I just decide that that's how things are going to be and you have to conform to my reality. You see, it's, it's insane, right? I mean, it's ridiculous to think that, that I can be in this world and I can decide how this world ought to operate and I can judge anyone who doesn't agree with me based on my own beliefs because all of our beliefs would be different. All of our beliefs would be entirely subjective. A judge has to be outside the circumstance. This is why God is outside of our circumstance. God knows everything. God made everything. God never changes. So he can be a judge. He can sit outside of our circumstance and, and he can decide. He can, make, he can make all of the rules, all of the order, everything function how it's supposed to function because he is an external force. He's an external judge. He's an external God outside of our situation. He can make the rules. We cannot make them from within. You'll never find a courtroom where the person on trial is also the deciding judge in the case. It's just not going to happen. For us to think that we can decide what truth is and then live by the same standard of truth is the equivalent of being both judge and defendant. So, we must determine the way that we are going to live our lives and then adjust the way we live according to God's fixed truth. We must determine the way we're going to live our lives and then adjust the way we live according to God's fixed truth. If we're at the center of our universe, everything will always be out of order, always chaotic, always a mess. Does your life feel constantly chaotic? Maybe it's because God's not at the center. Maybe everything in our life is revolving around me instead of revolving around God. But if God is at the center of our universe, God is at the center of everything we do, that, that he is the deciding factor, the, the determining factor, then everything will start to make sense. It will never make perfect sense because we still live in a fallen world, which we're going to talk about in a few weeks as well. So it's never going to come together perfectly until we arrive in his perfect kingdom on the other side of this life. But as we start to live according to his principles, according to his rules, according to his foundation for how we ought to live, things start to make sense. We start to have more peace. You've heard me say this before. Your glory is too small a thing to live for. My glory is too small a thing for me to live for. I am not important enough to live for my glory. So we, need, we were made, we were designed, we were created to bring glory to God with our entire existence. 
So why do we waste so much of our lives seeking to gain glory for ourselves? Till we know what's truly at the center of everything that we do, our lives will be constantly chaotic. So I ask, who's at the center of your life? What do you need to change to put God in the center of your life? And are there any areas of your life that God is not the center? For our last few minutes, we're going to uh, have a, a little discussion again in our discussion groups. This is something new, something we'll try. If you don't feel comfortable doing it, you don't have to. But I would like us to ask these questions or try to answer these questions as much as you're comfortable at answering these questions and do it based on your level of comfort with people that you may or may not know. But ask, is your guidance built around the ever-changing ideas of mankind? Or is your guidance built around the unchanging truth of God who knows everything and made everything? And really the question I'm hoping we will answer for ourselves is, is what can I do this week to start living according to God's truth? That's, that's really, the, that's really the, the underlying principle I'm hoping we take home. What can I do this week to start living my life according to God's truth as opposed to my truth or as opposed to truth as the world has decided for me? 